that next season and all of a sudden I was beating a bunch of those kids that were in the the select B2B program and that taught me pretty quickly like hard work pays off. Excellence is about standards and excellence is a requirement in the dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, alpine skier Brody Seger joins us to explore the behind the scenes of his career. Brody lives to be the best in the world in one of the fastest sport speed skiing. Specializing in a super G and a downhill, with speeds reaching up to 160 km an hour, Brody is on the edge every time he races, where every move can either help you gain a fraction of a second or send you to the ground. This caused two serious injuries in the past three years that he's been fighting to come back from better than ever with the 2026 Olympics in the back of his mind. This ski journey started at lower speeds when he was still pretty young. The earliest thing I can remember was my dad just sort of pushing me down the hill at the very bottom of the ski out in uh, in Whistler. Like, you know, I could I was just like a little snowman in my ski suit and just kind of getting just trying to balance there on my on my little skis and he was just sort of pushing me down the hill like that was the very first introduction uh to skiing <laughs> but in my actual sport like get it when i when i started racing um that's tough to say what my, what my very first memory of that was i think it was probably one of the early season races that we had in whistler because generally uh, at those younger ages, the first uh, the first sort of zone race where a few of the clubs came together was held in Whistler at the at, in the early season. Um, so it was it was nice to be home for me and just kind of I remember coming down the course and of course all the all the uh, parents of my buddies that I'm skiing with are volunteering and stuff. So they're all on the side of the run and it almost just feels like a bit more of a social thing. And I don't really know what the heck I'm doing yet with the, <laughs> with the race, but there, but I know that I care about it because it feels like there's a little bit of pressure. Like that's, that's sort of the things that come back to mind. When I think nice. About it. And were there, uh, I mean, were your parents or um, close ones like very much into skiing or was it just a leisure for them? Uh, skiing for us was always just a, a family leisure thing growing up. Um, we, my, my parents both grew up skiing a little bit. It was kind of a weekend thing for them. They wanted to do it as a family with myself and my brother uh, growing up. So um, that's why they, uh, they wanted to have a, a place in Whistler. And that became sort of our, our weekend uh, getaway thing as a family, whether it was biking in the summer or skiing in the winter. Um, but we don't, we don't actually really have any, uh, roots in ski racing. My, we have some cousins on my mom's side who, uh, who were racers and they for sure sort of encouraged, uh, my parents to, to put mm -hmm. me and my brother into, into ski racing. Um, cause they had, they just thought it was a great sport, a great learning experience, uh, for them growing up. And, um, so that's kind of how it came to be. Like skiing was just, uh was just a casual thing. I mean, I did the, the regular ski school program in Whistler. And then when it came time to, I think, uh, just before the age of 10 or so, um, that's where it became time to decide, are you going to go 
into ski racing or are you just going to kind of stop doing any sort of program where you could go into freestyle stuff like that um and that was when the the some of our family sort of encouraged us to give ski racing a try at least and you know even just saying it's it's a great uh it's a great thing just for your development and you'll be a better skier for the rest of your life and whatnot and so we really didn't know what the heck we were getting into at first and then here I am, however many years later, it's kind of funny. Yeah, to think about. When did you realize or was there a specific moment in time where, yeah, you realized that it could be more than just uh, leisure, especially for you mm-hmm. and that you had it for like, you know, elite and uh, world-class, you know, championships and stuff? Well, I knew from the beginning that, I, I mean, I've always been, I was always a kid who just like cared about uh, doing stuff well. Like I didn't want to, I didn't want to, you know, not put my best effort in. And I was also, you know, I grew up biking and skiing and all this stuff. I was fairly athletic. So I think, I think I had some success with it early on because of that. And I was, I also didn't want to be bad at it. So um, that combination just kind of innately made, made me a little bit competitive about it, but it for sure took me a lot longer to actually think about it as being a potentially serious thing. And, and, Um, I think because I didn't get into the sport necessarily with a, a long-term vision and knowing, knowing much about it at the, at the world cup level and where it could take me. Um, it took me, it took me a few more years to sort of develop that belief in myself. It, it, probably not till I was like 15, 16 years old that I started to take it a bit more, more seriously that way. And I was, I think really fortunate <clears throat> to have a few, coaches along the way at that sort of age is like very very pivotal age when you're starting to get a get a little bit more mature and and uh potentially get more serious about about what you're doing and and i had a few coaches that were really good at just helping me reflect on that and being like hey you know you you might have what it takes to actually uh, take this to the to the top level like it's time mm-hmm. to start start thinking about this and when you you know if you're if you're struggling a little bit if you've had some bad races or a bad season like what are you going to do about it now like are you going to just fizzle out or are you going to um, double down and work harder and go to camps in the summertime and and ski more and train harder and figure it out you know like that, they got me thinking more seriously about it And do you think that, so you mentioned it's around 15, uh, 16 years old that this happened, that you start having coaches and stuff. Is that also the moment when uh, it kind of switches between the natural talent, I would say, you have to the hard work you put in? And is that the, mom- the, the right moment to get a coach that when you cannot just you know rely on your natural instinct and talents uh, because mm-hmm. you're making level at that point and those coaches coaches they see that on top of the talent if you put in the work then you'll have a, a world level and is that is that kind of that moment where it switches when you need that coach to kind of uh, pull you up yeah i think for sure I, i actually remember um now it was it was in uh it had a different name at the time but it was basically the u16 program so i was it must have been when i was going into that i was probably closer to 14 years old and um we had in in british columbia there was there was this b2b program that where they would kind of select the the top you know prospect athletes of the of the province and they would do special camps with them um and i you know i i, I had some success in my first couple of years of racing but i guess i was i was 
maybe I didn't have a, a great season right before that. And I was not selected for the speed of B camp. And I kind of thought like, man, that's like, I've beat, I, I've beat a lot of these kids a bunch before. Like I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I sort of felt like it did, it did hit me that I didn't make that. And I was a little bit disappointed. And that was sort of the moment where I, I had a, a coach that, uh, yeah, made me realize this is, you know, this is the time where you got to figure, are you going to, are you going to start working harder? Or is it, you can't just rely on, on, um, you know, not, not going to summer camps and stuff like that and just showing up and, and thinking it's all going to work out. It, it, like, this is where you, your, your work starts to pay off. It's, it, you're absolutely right. It's not just, uh, all about, you know, natural talent at this point and who's, you know, obviously at, the, at that age too, kids are growing at different rates and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, uh, before that I had never, I had never been to a summer ski camp. I was, you know, ski summer was all about biking. I was like, Oh, I go ski in the summer. Like that doesn't make any sense. And then, and then I started to do that. I started to go to, uh, to places like Mount hood and doing summer camps and more, more, uh, dry land training in the summer. And, um, and I came back that next season and all of a sudden I was beating a bunch of those kids that were in the, the select B2B program. And I was like, huh, you know, that was, a, that was a pretty, it's pretty fortunate it worked out that way. Cause that, that was, that taught me pretty quickly, like hard work pays off. So, um, yeah, that was a huge learning point. Where do, do those, uh, uh, summer training camp, uh, happen for where do you have enough, uh, snow in the, in the summer? Well, there's, there's, a there historically were always, um, one or two glacier camps, um, in Whistler and on, on the Blackcomb glacier. Um, those are kind of fading out now because we're losing snow quick here. Um, but Mount hood in Oregon was a huge destination cause it's, it's not too far away from here. Um, and they, they have a ton of ski camps going on in the summer. Um, and then it honestly gets, if you're, it gets kind of tough after that, like the next best places are like going to a glacier in Europe in the, in the summer, going to, going to Switzerland or, um, going to South America. So like all of a sudden it goes from, Oh yeah, there's this one or two places not far to like, okay, now we're talking about big trips and it's a lot more expensive. Uh, so There's, it, it would, it's, it's unfortunate we don't have uh, too many better options close to home. There used to actually be a glacier as well um, called Farnham, uh, not far from Panorama in interior BC. Uh, but as far as I know, that's totally shut down now. It's, it oh, was, wow. it was okay. a bit hard to access, but. Yeah, yeah. So is that place where all uh, North American skiers meet in the, in the summer, especially because you said there are two, three spots. So you probably meet all the other, uh, American and Canadian skiers, right? At that yeah, period. there's a there's maybe a couple other places in the in the states. Uh, Mammoth maybe uh, has some skiing late into the into the spring summer. To, like I'm pretty sure they they had an insane uh, winter just this this past winter, um, and they were skiing like well into the summer. But um, that also just camps early in the fall, like but like pre preseason. A lot of people would go down to Vail because they would start making. Uh, snow really early or copper mountain um in colorado uh so yeah there's a there's a f- there's a few places like that that were always hubs and it was cool because you would there would be other teams around you could you could have other like club teams and then like mm-hmm. a world cup team randomly so you kind of get a mix of everything and you get a little exposure to those guys that are that are that you're sort of looking up to so yeah that was always pretty cool nice um yeah just going back on the said the hard work and uh, uh yeah 
work over talent did you have or do you still have like uh, external inspiration whether it be in skiing or other sports or just other personalities in general and people that you kind of look up to um to become mm -hmm. your own best self i I've always, i feel like i've always struggled a little bit with that question to be honest like i don't there's i've never felt like i had you know one or two mega role models that really were just the epitome of everything I wanted to to be in sport that I looked up to big time. Um, but I feel like I've had a lot of little ones along the way, you know, like I've always tried to, whether it was some of the coaches I've had along the way or the, the guys on the Canadian ski team that, uh, you know, the bunch of the Canadian Cowboys also came from the Whistler Mountain Ski Club. And we knew that there was a legacy of, of great racers that came from our very own club. And I got to know a few of those guys a little bit over the years and now good friends with a bunch of them. Like there, there were so many people like that, that I, I, I just tried to always take the lessons I could from them and, and, and look up to them for what, they do well and you know nobody's nobody's perfect nobody's like the model athlete and and yeah. good at everything um and there's a bunch you know there's a bunch of other world cup athletes i've looked up to along the way Bodie miller had everybody loves to throw his name out there because he was just such a wild man and, and an amazing skier but um it's he he's just just one one uh kind of style there's there's so many so many other guys like i could put so many names out there so i don't like to i don't like to boil it down to like one role model okay. i've always just tried to have that attitude that i there's something that to be learned from from almost everybody you come across in your journey mm -hmm. okay so we discussed about your youth um so my next will be separated into one when do you become a pro in skiing what Is there a moment? Is this when you go to a specific race? Is this when you go to a World Cup race? And when did you uh, turn pro and how long ago was that? Well, uh, our sport technically is not a professional sport. It's okay. an amateur sport um, because we don't get, uh, you know, we don't get contracts to to ski for it, to, you know, the national team. Like we're, and actually yeah. <laughs> these days we got to pay to be on the national team and it's considered the, an amateur the, sport because it's an yeah. Olympic sport. The, the pro definition in any case is different from one sport to another. One is once yeah. you get, one says when you get a sponsorship, one is when you get to a World Cup event. It's just the definition mm -hmm. is so bad. Yeah, so it's in general amateur, considered amateur. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. considered amateur, but I will say yeah, it's always, it's a bit of a funny line there because if somebody asks me sometimes i will say yeah, i'm a professional athlete because otherwise yeah. people don't really necessarily <laughs> understand that that's the only thing you do you know like i i'm working all summer too i'm in the gym every day like it's it, yeah. i do treat it like my full-time job so um sometimes i will say that to people and honestly that's kind of how i would define it i i, I think you become a professional when you start to treat that like your full-time job. So it might not be the same point as, uh, for everybody. Like when you become serious about it and that, and then you start to treat that like your, your full-time job and you're committed to it. I think that's the point when you begin acting like a, a professional and that's when you, that's when you become a professional. You could say it's when you do your, when you, when you start racing world cup. Um, I mean, if you're, You know, some people get to race one or two World Cups and then they and they never really make it past that. But uh, mm -hmm. 
yeah, if you're if you're if you're racing World Cup consistently and then and you're ranked in the top thirty and you're one of those guys who's always sort of in there like in the mix, then absolutely you're you're professional at that point. So when when did that happen for you? When did you uh, what um, King become your sole focus, full time job, day in day out? I would say um, I would say around the time. I made the provincial ski team, um, which was before I, I graduated high school. Um, and, but at that point, you know, that I had, I had high school and everything else was about skiing. I was missing a lot of school time because you start traveling a lot more when you make the provincial team and it just, it becomes a lot more serious. So, um, like, yeah, I'm, I'm managing my school on the side, um, which, I'm still doing, you know, I'm still trying to, to manage some online school on the side where I can. Um, but uh, that's where it really be skiing became a lot more serious. Like you're with a, you're with a provincial team. There's higher, there's a higher standard. Um, you're expected to perform at a certain level. You're expected to travel a certain amount like that sort of become, you've been selected for this and you are committed to that. And, and um, that's where it started to get a lot more, serious for me okay um just a, a step back because i realized we jumped right into it so i had a couple mm -hmm. skiers before on the podcast but can you define yeah. well, there are a few i don't know if it's specialty disciplines uh, within skiing mm -hmm. g uh, slalom and all that so can you yeah. explain which ones uh you um you specialize in how they're different from the others and also why did you select or why those disciplines selected you uh, how do you come <laughs> to in, in, uh, in some of them Yeah, it works a little bit both ways. So there's there's a uh, slalom, giant slalom, super G, and downhill in alpine skiing, um, and basically that is the range from the smallest, tightest turns to the biggest turns. So slalom, the gates are you know let's say roughly 10, 11 meters apart, and they're just single pin gates. And then when you go up to giant slalom, you start to get the panel gates, and they're closer to you know 25 to 30 meters apart. Um, super G is more like kind of super G is kind of a range, uh, downhill on the, on the top end of it is basically where the course more or less follows the run down the mountain. So it's, mm -hmm. it's super high speed. Um, the course is meant to just sort of flow with the mountain. You got, you got a lot of big rollers and terrain, you have big jumps. Um, and then super G is a funny one. That's a little bit in between where, you the gates are set a little bit tighter um but you often have speeds very high and similar to to downhill so uh just as as an example you know some of the some of the downhill stops on tour uh were hitting like one 150 one i think i got i got clocked on we have wear these little gps units um and two seasons ago at this one uh downhill in italy uh my GPS clocked me at 159 going down this one sort of straight part. So like it's gives you an idea. It's it's some pretty it's pretty in your face going down something like that at uh, with a little with a little uh spandex suit on <laughs> on the yeah. device basically. But um so the super gene downhill uh are called the speed events and mm -hmm. giant slalom and slalom are the technical events. And athletes generally tend to specialize in like more so in speed or more so in tech um and a few guys kind of a little bit in between like they do slalom or i mean um super g and gs because they they are 
kind of similar. My brother is one of those guys actually. Um, and I'm on the, I'm, I consider myself a speed skier. I'm, uh, I'm on, I'm on the Canadian speed team. I do super G and downhill mainly. Um, and that evolution was funny. I feel like I always just sort of had this, this feeling that I wanted to be a speed skier. Like a lot of the, the, a lot of the, uh, great athletes that came from our club were, uh, speed skiers and they, it was just kind of, I don't know. I always just thought it was cool to watch those guys that were going that fast down the mountain. And I thought that was, I also grew grew up really liking just free ride skiing too. So Mm -hmm. I think that that little bit of element of adrenaline and risk to it as well was always sort of appealed to me. And then sure enough, you know, when you're, when you're a young athlete, you do all the events um, as long as you can, basically. Like, I think that's, I'll always uh, say that's an important part of development um, to be exposed to everything and just be a versatile skier in general. But I could also tell from early on, I liked speed. I wanted to do speed. And I, I had some coaches along the way too, that were like, yeah, you're going to, you're going to be a speed skier. Like we're going <laughs> to, I think they just sort of identified that in me, in me a little bit and also wanted to take the time to, to develop that side of me too. Like you're not, I think it's, I think it's dangerous to start with a young kid and just totally throw them in that direction especially when Mm -hmm. we're talking about the highest speed events like they are dangerous um it's important to keep doing everything and to to develop your skills as a well-rounded skier but for sure they knew that i should be given some some opportunities to work on those speed skills as well and and that if i was going to make it it would likely be as a speed skier so i was fortunate for that is is there a a thing where the speed skier are slightly, uh, I don't know, crazier or driven by adrenaline than the, the slalom people. It seems like it because <laughs> um, it's fast. Of course, it's extremely fast, but it's like you said, it seems more technical, yeah. more like in small details on how you bend and blah blah blah. But speed skiing very much seems like your rocket, like you said, <laughs> with a span mm-hmm. of ice. So there must be a lot of thrill re- uh, linked to it, which is probably what yeah. what you excited in the first place. But uh, yeah, is there a is there a thing where no more uh, speed skier or also I don't know skydivers and uh, <laughs> jumpers and stuff like that for the the thrill and the speed of it. Um, we definitely got some some interesting people on the speed circuit. Some people that are <laughs> into some some other very uh, sort of high adrenaline stuff as well. Um, I know uh, like most of the guys on my team are super into mountain biking as well. Like we do some pretty some pretty uh, gnarly mountain biking stuff in the off season. So we definitely have that that adrenaline gene a little bit but um interestingly the the um sort of it's sort of uh the telltale vibe in the in the ski world that the speed skiers tend to actually be a little bit more on the like mellow chill side that's what that's how how people are sort of known whereas and tech skiers people (laughs) often say that they're just a little bit more like high strung you know, which is, seems, seems a little bit backward sometimes, but, um, you know, I've also had, uh, conversations with slalom skiers on my team who, you know, if I jump into a slalom course, I, I might be perfectly comfortable going down a downhill at 140 kilometers per hour. And that doesn't feel like anything too crazy. I jump into a slalom course where all of a sudden it's tight turns and the gates are flying at your face. And I'm like, Holy crap, this is coming at me so quick. Like this feels crazy. 
and then you know if i if i i remember i was talking uh talking with uh, my teammate simon fournier about that a little while ago um uh and he's a slalom specialist and he was he was likening it the complete opposite way like if he's in the downhill course going that fast he feels like it's oh my god it's crazy he's coming at me so quickly and when i'm in the slalom course even though the tempo is much higher and the gates are coming right in your face he feels more calm and relaxed so it's kind of funny how it's just it's, it's, it's almost it's like it's kind a, of set like boom boom speed yeah uh, turn 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 versus just high speed and kind of out of control but yeah, yeah it's probably it's, the specialty just, you, you kind of get used to your yeah it's what just you a like completely opposite perception right and it's 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 interesting that way it used to be very much of a personality trait of people that like adrenaline well i wouldn't consider myself a uh driven person but i skydive from time to time and it's true that in your day-to-day you can be super poised super relaxed because when you do those adrenaline based activities whether it be a, a speed skiing whether it be a skydiving mountain biking and all those stuff it's it takes your energy away enough that when you're not doing that you're a super poised quiet uh relaxed person and some uh, a friend of mine knows uh someone that does uh how do you call that uh, you know when you kind of uh wait when when you jump and you fly but in between mountains and how do you call that I don't even oh yeah know. like paragliding uh or... not Or Which wingsuit, we, uh, kind of, yeah, wingsuit. Sorry. So yeah, those oh. wingsuits. And they say when crazy. You, you see them in real life, they are the most quiet people you can imagine. Yeah. But have that thrill. They need those you know, two minutes of high adrenaline, which you know takes their their energy away for the next few days. And then yeah. they, again, it's kind of a circle of uh, you know seeking that adrenaline. So it seems like mm-hmm. the more you do extreme stuff for sport, fun, whatever for your job the quieter you can be also on the side and you, you don't, it doesn't necessarily show that you're a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, that, I think there's a big, uh, I, I feel like there is some, there was an element of learning and maturing that goes right along with that too. Um, as I started off on the world cup circuit, uh, because you, you know, we, the downhill, the downhill races specifically have up to three training days beforehand where you get one, you know, full length, full speed run on the course. Um, and then you have the race day. And then generally you have, you know, a super G race day tagged on after that. So, so a race week for a speed skier can be quite long and it, you're still, you know, you, it might not all be race days, but you're still running a, a full intense downhill course every day. Yeah. So it can be, speed can be a lot more, mentally draining just because of that stress and that that high risk environment than than it is physically uh tiring sometimes um and you you kind of need to adopt that that mentality around it going through a speed week like you have you have your all your runs where it's going to be full gas it's going to be the adrenaline's going to be going you got to be super focused and you also have to know how to turn off outside when you're outside of that environment whether it's in the morning before the before you go down the course or if it's the recovery in the afternoon like you got to know how to switch off and really mellow out and let your your nervous system sort of recover and chill that's that's actually a big part of it because you can't just be you know running at a thousand rpms the whole time and you're gonna you're gonna totally burn yourself out over the course of one one race week like it's it wears on your nerves and i think that's a big part of uh maturing in our sport as well like when you're when it's your first season on the world cup and all the 
courses and all the venues are new to you and you're kind of overwhelmed by all of that and you're trying to memorize the whole course and uh, you're nervous about doing it for the first time and there's some massive jump you've never hit before, you know, you name it. There's a million mm-hmm. things going on and it's super overwhelming and it, it does kind of burn out your nerves and you have to, it takes a little bit of, of learning and maturing to figure out how to switch off when you need to and to, and to mellow out and yeah, recover not just, not just burn out. And in, in a sport that is, I would say so stressful and can be so dangerous because of the high speed. Have you ever, I would not say, I would say, have you ever faced that fear to the point where it kind of uh, removes some of the joy or the the excitement that you had going into a race? Or is that something that you've mm. always worked on and kind of never happened? Yeah, I think that's totally normal after any big crash or, or injury. Like it takes, it's going to take a little bit of time to build that back up and be smart about it too. Like learning to be, learning to accept those that kind of nerves because that's totally normal to deal with that but figuring out how to overcome that and be i i I think the most important thing is to be committed to what you're doing regardless you know you kind of have to feel yourself step over that hurdle like yes i'm nervous about this yes i i had a big crash or i hurt myself and it could happen again um but i'm not doing any myself any favors by going down this course skiing backed off and not committed to what I'm doing. So I'm going to fully commit to this because that's the only way to do it safest. You know, that's the, Mm -hmm. that's the safest way to do it. But for sure that is, that can also be hard uh, regardless of whether it's, you've had a big crash or an injury, just sometimes, you know, over the course of a season, um, if you are feeling a little bit worn down or, or, mentally mentally drained physically drained after a few big race weeks in a row um and you know you don't (laughs) just because it's race day you don't always wake up and feel like yeah i'm ready to go i'm excited like sometimes sometimes you're tired and you're like oh my god do i have it in me to do this today um and the thing is the the risk is still there whether you're whether you're feeling excited and energetic or not like the risk is still there so you for sure need to to learn how you operate as a person and as an athlete and what you need to do to get yourself going in those situations and how do i bring do whatever i need to do over the course of the morning to bring myself into that start gate ready to ski the course with full commitment mm-hmm. so i from what i read i think you got a, a couple at least two pretty big injuries one in 2020 i think and one this year um mm-hmm. from your perspective what was different it's just a th- uh, three-year um difference in, in time but mm-hmm. yeah how, how did you go through those two injuries and how did you see them differently maybe f- between the first one and the second one yeah they've been i mean the biggest difference right off the bat is the first one was my my shoulder i mm-hmm. i totally i completely tore all the ligaments in my ac joint um and the other one was this past february i blew my ACL in my right knee and tore both my meniscus. And the, the biggest difference right off the bat is that one's upper body, one's lower body yeah. and upper body is way less important in my sport. So, um, but the, for sure, the, the mentality and what you go through with those two different types of injuries was, was quite different. The first one um, happened in the very first downhill of the season, which was in the middle of December. Um, that was actually the first, 
first uh, season after COVID sort of shut everything down. Mm -hmm. So um, the season started a little bit later than usual. We were in France. It was a, it was a super weird sort of freak accident. The way my ski, like, sorry, excuse me, um, caught an edge in the last uh, turn of the, of the course, like not really my fault at all. It was just super weird how it happened, caught my edge and um, ended up, doing a big uh, yard sale at pretty high speed. It was probably around 120 kilometers per hour. And I just kind of bumped into the fence. And I think that's what just, I just hit my shoulder just the right way that it tore all the ligaments in the AC joint. Um, and, but I had, you know, leading up to that through the training runs that week, I had been feeling pretty confident coming into that season. And I already had a couple of decent days in the, in the training runs. And so when this happened and it's an upper body thing, um, and we've got, we had world champs coming up in, in February of that winter. I was, you know, less than two months away from that. And that was supposed to be the big uh, goal of the, of the season was getting there. Um, I like from immediately after that happened, I was like, I am not going to let this slow me down. Like this is a shoulder. <laughs> I don't need my frigging shoulder to, to ski downhill. Um, I'm, I have put in so much work this, this preseason, I'm feeling really good about where my skiing is at. I've already had a couple, couple training days where I was showing really good speed. Like I'm not going to let this wreck my entire season. And, um, we had to, it was a bit of a mess trying to figure everything out after that. Like I needed surgery. We had to get me back to Canada because insurance wouldn't let me have the surgery in Europe, but then there's all the, you know, COVID quarantine rules and stuff like that. So we had all of this new territory we had to navigate for that um, ended up getting me back to Canada. They put a plate in my shoulder to just stabilize it. And I went right back to Europe to just work full time with our, our physio who was on the road with the team. Um, and I ended up getting back in a world cup start gate 33 days after surgery, I think. Um, so way, wow. way faster than, than any of us, thought possible at considering we didn't know if I was going to miss the rest of the season. Um, but that was, it was, that was an interesting experience just that like, I didn't know how I would react to an injury or a crash like that. And I never would have expected that my first um, sort of thought and reaction afterwards was like, no, I'm screw this. I'm not going to let this get in the way. Like it's not, my legs are fine. I can, this isn't going to, change the way I've been skiing and, and, you know, what I've been building up to through this, mm -hmm. this preseason. Um, I'm not going to let this slow me down. And then, you know, of course, after a knee injury, it's a lot more of a, of a big deal. You're kind of, you know, knocked down to having to, you know, go from being on crutches to walking again, to and getting into exercises. It feels like it feels like your leg is just not working like it used to. And, um, the muscles are turned off and it's, it's, it's a totally different experience. And, and you of course think, will it, will it, will I be able to get back to, um, feeling how I did before on my skis? You know, that's, I think that's mm -hmm. the biggest difference is that question starts to creep in. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm really fortunate that I have a couple teammates who have had, uh, pretty significant knee injuries in their careers um we have a really good team in place that helps them uh get back to top form in fact two of the guys on my on my team uh 
who have recently had it like in, in the last uh, few years had big knee injuries. Um, never had, they only hit the world cup podium after the injury. So I can't help, but, but just take some confidence from that and think, yeah, you know, I, I, it's all a new experience and I don't really know how this is going to go, but I have a really good team in place and, and it just, it makes it that much easier to believe that the best is yet to come. Um, I'm really hoping it's uh, just a little bump in the road, you know, but for sure it's a lot of, it's a lot different experience because you're forced to, to take a longer step away from the sport and slow things down and, and really build back up from, from the ground. So uh, it's been almost uh, six months now because we're, we're in mm -hmm. August. So where are you in your, uh, let's say, recovery schedule uh, right now? Yeah, so not I'm, yet? I'm about five months post-surgery. Um, okay. And I am, well, I'm, I mean, it's kind of been nonstop rehab, like literally since I had surgery. I started, I started only a few days afterwards with, with uh, physio exercises and do, I was doing two workouts a day right from the very beginning, just, you know, starting obviously with easy stuff, but now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm finally starting to feel like I can do a lot more um, just, well, pretty much like everything, all the normal life stuff and feel a lot more normal. I'm, I'm working hard right now on uh, getting back into jumping and plyometric stuff and getting the spring back in my, in my leg. It still gives me a little bit of pain when I'm, when I'm doing, uh, when I'm trying to do really quick, powerful jumps, but mm -hmm. I'm lifting heavy weights again. Um, that feels pretty good when it's, when it's like so, slow and controlled like that. Um, and yeah, so the biggest thing now is getting, getting a little bit of, uh, power back with jumping and running and whatnot. And, um, it's, it's funny because for, for most people, like the normal program, if you've had an ACL tear, they say you you won't get back to sport until about a year after surgery and well, we usually aim to get yeah we get, aim to get back on snow at six months so literally half that time and that's uh yeah so that's getting that's getting pretty close i'm kind of that's where i'm at right now i'm i kind of see it as being in this final stretch before uh i'm supposed to travel with the team to south america in 25 days actually um so i've got a few more weeks here of of hard work um i gotta pass some some final physical tests before i'm cleared to go down there i gotta see the surgeon one more time just to get clearance from him um and uh it's yeah it feels it's it's been it feels like it's been a long five months like it's hard i can't believe it's only been five months it feels like it's been a long journey to get here but all of yeah. a sudden it's also like whoa this i'm actually i'm supposed to be going skiing pretty soon like wow this is i can't believe this is happening so quick so and it's, it's you interesting feel there might be a bit again a fear or any uh, apprehension before going back on the on the slope or are you already comfortable and the moment you you'll put your skis on you know that you'll kind of your brain and your your mental will be here i'm I mean, I'm a little ways out right now, but I'm already, I would say I'm feeling pretty uh, comfortable about it. I'm not, I don't think, I don't foresee myself having any sort of last minute fears or reservations, but you know what, that's a, I think that's my, mostly a reflection of this, this team I have around me and the way we approach this. Like I'm not getting, I'm not getting thrown into something before I feel ready. You know, I, the, the, the most important thing to, to, 
my team and the way we're approaching this is that uh, I get on snow when I'm feeling comfortable because you know it's it, you're not you're not going to gain anything by being in a really uncomfortable situation and feeling tentative on your skis and what, like that doesn't that's not beneficial to me or beneficial to the team um, by trying to speed things up that way like I have I also have say in whether I'm mentally ready or not and I also have great confidence in the plan that we've put in place like my first two weeks of skiing is going to be really slow working back into into it doing drills sliding around I'm probably not going to touch a gate or like go in a course mm-hmm. um until until the second camp which is like a, another month later so i'm not feeling apprehensive at all at this point because i it's 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 kind of it's also kind of comforting knowing that i have this we're going down to south america for two weeks and i have this two-week block where i can take my time i can i can go as slow or as fast as i want and that that two weeks is just about building back into it gradually. There's no pressure to be at full speed anytime soon. So um, I think that uh, yeah, that that's that's just a reflection of of uh, of our our team and the way they handle it. Nobody's saying, "Oh, you, okay, you're ready, you're good to go. Let's like j- throw you in a, a downhill yeah. training course again right away." Like that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um... Just a, uh, one question, actually, about uh, one question that that has two points about sports, and then I have a few uh, non-sport related question. Um, you've had a, a few or some very good results in World Cup, World Champs, Olympics, and all that. So, so far, what would you say is your highest point in your career, and mm-hmm. moment is your lowest point from your perspective? Um. Well, I got to say the entire Olympic experience was a huge one uh, just because that was, that's, that's always been such a, a huge goal. It's such a cool experience in general. I mean, unfortunately it was a COVID Olympics, so it was uh, yeah. not exactly the full experience, not, not totally normal, but just being part of the Olympic team and having that outpouring of support from everybody in Canada was amazing. But honestly, I think I have to say that the, the greatest highlight was probably the super g race day at the 2021 cortina world champs in uh where i i ended up fourth place um and that was entirely that that day was so special entirely because it was the culmination of that whole shoulder injury mess that i was just telling you about that was the world champs following that that injury um i you know, I got back to racing 33 days after surgery. Like we were, we were just hammering the the rehab as fast as we could to get me back. And um, so I ended up, it, that was nice. I got back ahead of schedule. I ended up having a couple races before that, that world championships. And um, I was able to qualify and then coming forth there was, you know, it was a, it was a funny experience because I think for most people who didn't really know the whole story, they saw fourth place and four hundredths of a second off of a okay. off of a world championship medal, and so many people were like, "Oh no! Oh my God! He was so close! Like, that's too bad. He like he must be so sad that he missed out on a medal or something." And meanwhile, I've just gone through this whole you know month and a half of 
coming back from injury, having no idea whether I was going to finish the season or how it was going to go and um, coming down and seeing a single digit result on the board. Like that was all I saw when I first came down and I was just ecstatic. I was over the moon. No part of me was thinking, Oh man, I missed a medal by four hundredths of a second. Like it was just the culmination of two months of uncertainty and struggling with rehab and pain and um, literally putting everything I had into getting there. And that was yeah, that was that was just such a special moment, even though even though it was four hundreds away from being really, yeah. really special. Uh, uh, nice. And the lowest moment then? Ooh, the lowest moment. Is that the injury or is that or one of the injuries? That's funny. You know, it's funny how you you tend to erase uh, erase the lowest moments yeah. from your mind usually, but, but in a um, sense, like you said, the people you know with that have a World Cup or World Champ medal, it comes after. Usually, it comes after a low moment when you know maybe you start yeah. racing with you know less pressure or more fun or you no know, nothing to lose. Maybe also that's yeah. worth, worth place. Um, you know, you, you didn't expect that you could make it, so you just maybe you skied in a more free um no you, maybe you felt free yeah you would be usually and that's what you know released the the beast or whatever no honestly yeah honestly that's i would say those are always the moments where things work out the best where you feel like you're just able to ski free and you're not like you're not trying too hard and you're not mm. kind of holding yourself back things are just happening and flowing really well um but if i do recall have to recall a, a recent low moment it was actually probably at the end of last season like the uh the 2021-22 season um i had had a few solid results in super g throughout the season but i was i was i was struggling to cut, finish in the top 30 and downhill the whole year like there was always just something whether i didn't ski great or there was crappy conditions and it was hard to break in there but so the, the goal is to finish in the top 30 because those guys all score world cup points and that's how yeah. you become ranked better in the system so um i had skied almost the entire season without uh without making the top 30 in downhill and i was like what the heck is going on like i feel like i'm moving backwards here and then finally at the end of the season the very last world cup stop i I had a couple good downhill results and it was exactly that. I just felt like I, I, I finally let myself go a little bit and let things flow and just sort of let it happen instead of trying, trying too hard to force it. Um, and so I was, I was feeling like there was a weight off my shoulders in terms of that. Um, but it had been a long, you know, kind of, I was kind of getting more towards a low point all through that season, just because I couldn't believe it was not coming together for me. Um, But I was I was very close in Super G to being ranked in the top 25 and making the cut to qualify for World Cup finals. And we had one more Super G race left. Um, I had a few good results in the season. Like I just needed to bag one more good one. I, I just had this this solid downhill result and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I've kind of found the flow and I'm 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 letting myself go a little bit. I push out of the gate in the super G run. I'm feeling solid. And I, I just came around that there is this, this turn with a difficult roll and, and a, a blind gate past it. You couldn't see the next one. Um, and 
I don't know if I was just like a couple people got close to missing this gate. And actually the funny thing is that everybody who was going fast uh, seemed to be getting pulled lower on this roll and almost missing that next gate. And sure enough, I come flying into this section and I just get, I got launched way further off of this roll than I thought. And I totally missed the gate. And I was, I just felt that like, it was like a rock in my chest, just sinking in that I, I blew that opportunity to, to have one more good result and to punch my ticket to world cup finals for the first time. Um, and not only that, but when I got my, I slid down the course and I got to the finish and I could see my intervals that I was actually potentially about to have my first podium performance. Like I was skiing, my intervals were really good up to that point. I was skiing really fast. I don't know if that had to, anything to do with why I missed that gate, but mm-hmm. like not only was it, just just not making it to the finish and not getting a shot at, at uh world cup finals but i i missed i missed a potential first first podium and then not going to world cup finals also meant that i was going back home to canada i had to go to some some other races at the end of the season like I, it was kind of like okay well now i'm done with the world cup tour and i gotta go do all this other crap that i really did not necessarily want to be at like it's kind of it's kind of like taking a step back down again like i my goal was to be at finals and i i def that was that was just a hard crazy mix of emotions at the end of the season um and it definitely felt like a bit of a low point going going back and then having to still you know get up and pushed to to do these races to finish off the season um but yeah it's funny talking about it now because it's (laughs) Like at the time, I know I felt I was so just down in the dumps. Like that was that was that mm-hmm. Super G race in Norway was devastating. I was so choked up after. But yeah, when you put things, when you talk about it in the future, and it kind of gets put in perspective, you're like, ah, not too bad. It wasn't so. It could be a lot worse, you know. Yeah. Like there's that was that was a part of the journey. That was that was a part of what brought me a ton of motivation for the next season. So. Yeah, it's it's funny how things can feel so much heavier in the moment yeah, when when you're in it, you know. Okay, so with all those learnings from the past few years, um, yeah, what is next for you with the new season and I guess the 2026 Olympics that you might be uh, already mm-hmm. uh, uh, looking towards? Uh, yeah, what would you consider success in the next two three years? Well, I mean, this is this next season is going to be an interesting one for me. I think it's all it's going to be a very new experience, just returning to World Cup uh, after after a knee injury, um, and because of that, I have a bit of a hard time putting any hard uh, hard results goals on it. Like I, I have a, I'm the massive massive goal of getting to the point where I feel confident pushing out of the start gate like i'm ready to be here and i'm re- i feel confident to push because you know the, the results aren't gonna aren't gonna come if i if i'm not in that mindset anyway so yeah. um it's it's gonna be a build build back the confidence here and um i'm hoping i'm hoping that will happen sooner than later over the course of the season so that i can bang in some some strong results as well and 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 you know you know, keep my ranking in the top 30, for example. Um, cause that, that's going to be crucial to just carry over into the following season. Um, and then really from there, I'm, I'm looking to, to, 
we've got another a world championship in that following season and before the next Olympics. And I'm just going to be looking to build up from there, you know, improving my, my ranking from top 30 to top 15 to top 10 and put myself in medal contention for those next world championships. And then for the Olympics as well, I'm, I'm uh, that, that first uh, Olympic experience last year was, uh, was amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm super proud of that. I was able to be there, but I definitely came away feeling like, I got unfinished business and I don't want that to be my last Olympic experience for sure. So yeah. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to Cortina. Nice. Um, uh, one, not really related to the sport, but kind of in a sense at the very beginning, you mentioned that, um, uh, skiing is, uh, considered amateur, but that you're, mm -hmm. when you qualify yourself, you're a pro. Um, you also mentioned that you kind of have to pay to be in the, the, the national team. Um, mm -hmm too private feel free to to uh, skip that answer but yeah how do you live off the sport because you have to focus 100 you have to travel um yeah do you mm -hmm. have sponsors do you have uh, uh prize money when you get to world events how does that work and how do you uh, make that work yeah so fortunately we get a little bit of uh of support from the government to begin with like as uh as national team athletes we we get uh carding money which is basically supposed to just support our our living expenses Um, and then from there on, uh, it's, it's really, it's really all about how well you, you can do, you know, hustling and, and building a name for yourself and a brand and getting personal sponsors. Um, I'm really fortunate to have some strong support from a couple such as Haywood Securities on my, on my helmet, um, and Coastal Mountain <laughs> Excavations actually on my hat right here. Um, those are, those are a couple of my, uh, of my biggest sponsors and, um, they've been super supportive. You, you do also get prize money for finishing in the, the top 30 at a world cup race. So okay. that's the other, that's the other driver for that. And, you know, it's not, if you're, if you're finishing like, 25th to 30th it's really not that much um but if you're if you're begging top 15 top 10 results regularly um and especially hitting the podium every now and then like you can for sure make decent money in the sport and then the the bonuses you get as well from sponsors like your your ski brand um that that's actually a bigger that's a big part of where, where the money comes from. If what, the more you improve your ranking too, then you start to earn uh, potentially a, a retainer from, from partners like that um, because they want to keep you on board. So um, that's really where, where it starts to get uh, more, I don't want to say lucrative, but when, when you can actually earn a, earn a living um, when you, when you kind of get to that, that level. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at the point right now where I'm, I'm getting by, I'm doing all right because I've got, I've got some, uh, I've got some really supportive sponsors. Um, and I've had, uh, I've had a few decent results over, over the years, but, uh, definitely hoping that this is just the, the beginning. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you have, um, an agent helping you for that or is it just on your own? I don't have an agent at the moment. No, I, I, ha it's something I have sort of looked into a little bit, but, and, and one or two of my, teammates have started to work with with agents but uh no it's not something that i've i've done yet definitely okay. keeping it on the uh yeah on the in the back of my mind mm -hmm. okay we'll have to see um so that's that's a long uh 
long shot thinking, but um, yeah. what's next once uh, there's no more skiing, once you get to 40-ish years old or whenever you decide <laughs> to retire and, uh, and stop racing? Um, you said you, you keep studying on this side. Uh, do you have plans already? Mm. You put that on the back burner. I don't have any... I don't have any solid plans already. You know, I'm trying to keep all my opportunities open and and keep my keep my brain working uh, for one. But I'm I'm studying. Uh, I'm doing some finance courses on the side right now, working working away slowly at a at a finance degree. Um, but in terms of thinking of what I actually see myself doing, I always find that question difficult to answer because mm-hmm. you know I'm so focused on the sport for one right now um, that it's hard to picture that. But I also just think you never know where opportunities are going to pop up. Like, uh, who knows where yep. I'm going to end up? I know for sure that I want to um, have a family. And I don't know if that's going to happen before I'm done ski racing or after I'm done ski racing. So how do I find a balance with that? Um, what, yeah, what sort of, <laughs> I know what sort of lifestyle I'd like to have. I'd still like to have time to 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 ski and to bike and stuff like that. Um So I really don't know. I'm, uh, I'm trying to keep, keep my options open and, and sort of figure out still what I, what I might see myself doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because like you said, you, you're 100% focused on what you do now and what you want to reach mm-hmm. better and better results. So it's, it might be tough to uh, think about like a corporate life or <laughs> anything. That yeah. Um, if you had for, let's say two minutes, a uh, 10 year old Brody, uh in front of you what would you tell him if you have a few advice you could give i would just i think the biggest message i would want to pass pass back to my younger self is to learn to to trust myself along the way like i know i'm a hard worker i know i'm going to put in the the work and the and the effort but um I think that's been the biggest hurdle over the years, like learning to then, you know, when it's time to put it all to the test on race day, like you also got to just trust, trust yourself and learn to let it go and let it happen. Like it's not about just controlling everything as much as you can and forcing it to happen and pushing harder on your ski. And like, mm-hmm. there's got to be a little bit of just letting it go and letting it flow. Um, so I think that's what, that's what I would tell my younger self because Then I could then I could have been working on that the whole whole <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, will you be in uh, in Tremblant and or in Killington? I think it's in November. Those no, those are those are just women's uh, women's events. So oh, it's um, event. yeah, I I uh, will not be there. Is um, it any, uh, but I, it would be Quebec or, or close by. No, there's not. Um, the only men's event we've had in Canada has been the Lake Louise uh, downhill, which is usually at the at the beginning of the of the speed season for us. But that just got scrapped um, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, we've we've lost that event. And you know, they're they're saying they they would like to find a new uh, venue for uh, a speed a men's speed event in Western Canada, but it hasn't happened yet. So I've got my fingers crossed. I'd love to keep a Canadian venue on the uh, mm-hmm. on the schedule but um unfortunately we don't have one for this upcoming season oh, too bad all right I'll... although if i wasn't racing i would love to be in uh, in killington or in tromblon because uh, i mean super nice. super fun places i think i think those, those events are just going to be a lot of fun to to watch mm-hmm. to be a spectator at and uh 
yeah so i'm i'm excited that we at least have something coming uh mm-hmm. for the women to to eastern canada um i think that's going to be a great place for it are they um are they the same tracks same length same everything uh for the for like event, event. we have women event many event um there's there is a couple venues that where we race on the same course but they they actually set the gates a little bit differently so they do try to um they do try to sort of control the speed a little bit differently for the men versus the women um and but for the for the most part the venues are different the 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 women's courses are on average a little bit shorter um they they're they're yeah they're a little bit different for sure okay um the the men's the men's courses tend to be longer and a little bit i don't know i don't want to say gnarlier but because women have some pretty cool looking courses too actually they have some pretty fun ones that look like they have some wild terrain so i don't want to i don't want to make it sound like like it's totally different (laughs) okay um if there was one percent one athlete uh canadian ideally that you know and you think would be a good guest on the podcast um could be ski could be any other sport uh who would that person be as a guest on the podcast hmm. well you know i was thinking earlier if you when you when you when you said uh like if i could if i could uh be in a different you know canadian athlete or in a different sport like what would i what would i choose who would i want to be um Uh, you know, I mentioned I'm a, I'm I'm a big uh, mountain biker in the off season, and mm-hmm. I like to I like to push it a little bit in the mountain biking too, like see how fast I can go and and push the limits a little bit in that without being stupid and <laughs> hurting myself, of course. But because I'm a big fan of mountain biking, and uh, there's a there's another kid who grew up skiing in the for the Whistler Mountain Ski Club, and who's now gone on to be a downhill uh, world uh, world cup racer um, and a Red Bull athlete. That's Finn Isles um i lo- i love watching him race on uh, downhill on the downhill mountain biking on the world stage now and i just i think about that sometimes when i'm riding my mountain bike and it's just like man i wish i wonder what it feels like to be him flying down some some trail like this so uh mm-hmm. yeah that's who who comes to mind for me <laughs> perfect perfect and the very last question um so um, i mentioned before we started recording i'm building uh, up north in my cottage or trying to build mm-hmm. what- like to call a museum of sport i know someone in mm-hmm. France, something similar to that uh so do you have any gear from your career that you could send over if i send you like a, a pre-labeled uh, um, envelope or whatever could be a bib could be a, a hat mm-hmm. I, i got i got a good i got a good collection of bibs i could send you one i'm trying to i'm trying to think of i've definitely got some uh some gear kicking around that i love to uh love to send your way to be a part of that um, i'll have to think about it a little bit maybe an old maybe an old suit or something actually so i yeah. had um laurence saint-germain on the podcast or, yeah. and uh yeah she she offered me one of her suits and one day she forgot her protection for her legs because they have yeah. problem and so she had mm-hmm. her two uh, legs are just the, the 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 suit is actually burnt in some places because she was just hitting oh, the, yeah. straight on her legs straight on the on yeah. the skin <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty uh pretty amazing so yeah anything no need to uh to find which that's, one right now that's, but, a, uh, that's a slalom skiers nightmare right there but yeah <laughs> she sent you a suit because i'll come on to come up with something a little bit different yeah i'd be happy to contribute something awesome like thank you so much where should um our our listeners uh follow you are you active on on one specific mm-hmm. uh, social media 
Yeah, mostly on Instagram. Uh, my my uh, Instagram tag is uh, just Brody Seeger, my my full name. Um, and uh, I mean, I am on Facebook as well, LinkedIn, whatever. Yeah, but Instagram is where I'm I'm most active for sure. Perfect. So I'll put yeah. that in, uh, in the notes. All right. So I would love to say uh, I'll see you in one of the events. Like I said to uh, Laurence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ali, no mayor, but in that case, mm -hmm. uh, it won't work, at least not uh, in the upcoming season. So I wish you uh, the best and uh, hopefully you recover soon and we'll see you uh, getting uh, a few podiums on World Cups and World Champs. Let's <laughs> hope so. Thank you so much for having me. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.